Well, hey there, and welcome to our Sermon Audio Podcast from Mountain View Christian Center, a place to connect. Morning. Good to see you all this fine day. You having a good day? Good. Good. Ready for it to continue? We're going to continue our series on uh, praying like Jesus. So I've, I've gotten really creative with the title. This is Pray Like Jesus, number four. You like that? Did you get that? Okay, I didn't get the notes to you quick enough. But pray like Jesus, number four. If you've missed any of these, we started this series on Easter. You can actually go back onto our website. We do a neat thing called podcasting. I shouldn't say we because I have nothing to do with it other than I stand up here and speak into a microphone. But uh, Pastor Wayne gets these up usually, usually Tuesday. That's the goal. And uh, mountainviewchristiancenter.net. It's a very long website. But if you take the time to type that in, then you can go over and it's under, what's it under? Is it under podcasts? It's under podcast. Might say sermon podcasts. You'll find it. You're smart. If you have your Bibles this morning, let's go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 22. We're going to talk about how Jesus prayed in a particular instance. Let me know when you get there, Luke chapter 22. It's kind of funny having cell phones, having people have their Bibles on cell phones. You don't hear the pages flipping anymore. They need to get an app that sounds like rice paper flipping. (laughs) I I love that sound. Anybody else? You like the sound of the Bible? Just (laughs) They need an app. Somebody get a hold of whoever makes apps. Come up with a rice paper app. Thank you. Thank you for those of you that have your Bibles actually flipping loudly to make up for it. I appreciate that. Are you there yet? Did you find it yet? Almost. Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Got it, got it, got it. All right. Those of you who got your Bible, got your cell phone, got your iPad, whatever you got, let's hold them up. You know the drill. Repeat after me. This is the Word of God. It's able to make me wise. It's useful for teaching, teaching. correcting, Correcting. rebuking, Rebuking. and training in righteousness. righteousness. And this message is for me. me. All right, remember that. Take it to heart. This is for you if you are within earshot. This is for you if you're listening on a podcast. This is for you. Luke chapter 22, we're going to start in verse 31. I'm just looking at three verses today. Give you a little bit of background. This is, this is at the Last Supper. This takes place at what is known as the Last Supper, Jesus' last meal on earth with his disciples. It's that Passover night. It's the, the night that he was going to be betrayed. He knows all of this. And listen to what he says in verse 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Let's pray. Father, this morning we thank you for the opportunity once again to be in your presence to open up your word, I pray in the next few moments, Lord, that you would guide us and, and Lord, that you would take your word and make it alive to us. We don't want to go away from here today just 
having heard the word, but we want to receive the word. Lord, we don't want to just know it, we want to live it. So help us. We'll be quick to give you the thanks, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Anybody here, and, and you can be honest, I'm not going to, don't, don't shout out your answers. We can do a simple raise of the hand, but is there anybody here that if you would be honest, would say, you know, there's just some things in the Bible, just some things about the Bible I don't really like. Got, got a couple, oh, it's like a rabbit. It's like a rabbit in a greyhound race. Nobody moves until Clem raises his hand. Clem and Amber about the same time, and then everybody, okay, yeah. Hey, I'm in that boat. There's things I don't like in Scripture, things that, that honestly, if I could write the Bible, if God would take advice from me, oh, we'd all be in trouble, wouldn't we? <laughs> but there's things that, and, and it, this particular passage, there's a reality that grates against me. Did you, Jesus is talking to Peter, and he says, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. What he's saying is he wants to try you. He wants to put you through the ringer. He wants to, he wants to put it to you. Okay, I can, I can live with that. The devil hates us. He wants to mess with us. We're all on the same page. The devil hates us. He wants to mess. And I can even understand and, and find comfort in the fact that he has to ask permission what I don't like is that God gives him permission sometimes to mess with us. Why? As if life isn't bad enough, as if life isn't difficult enough. You gotta let the devil, you gotta give him permission. Lord, you've got the, you've got the power and the authority. He can't do anything without you saying it's okay. And you have to go ahead and let him, do you know how weak I am. Do you know how goofy I can be at times? You really need to allow the devil to unleash on me. I seem to make enough messes on my own. I hate that. It's frustrating to me. And, and if you find yourself in the same, I, I love the word, don't get me wrong, and I, and I accept it and I trust it and I believe it. I just don't like that particular part. Because I wish that, that when we came to the Lord, all of our problems went away. I wish when we submitted to Jesus and said, Lord, forgive me, come in and be, come in and, and, and save me and be my boss and be my best friend. I, I wish that, how many of you wish that maybe your free will just went out the window and you just never had another wrong thought and never, that would be so inhuman, that would be so glorious, maybe. God's got a reason, he's got a purpose for me and we gotta accept that, but I, just, I don't like the fact that God lets the devil pick on me sometimes or mess with me. It's rough. It's frustrating. But on the other hand, there's great stuff in this particular passage. Things I've already mentioned, like Satan has to ask permission. God hasn't given Satan free reign to just do whatever he wants. Think about that. I mean, his, his MO, his modus operandi is to steal kill and destroy. That's what he wants to do. He goes around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And yet, God has put limits on him and said, uh, this far and no farther. Just like when God was, 
was speaking the world into creation and he separated the, the dry ground from the, from the oceans and he said, this far will your waves go and no farther. God places limits and I find that very comforting. You know, when the, we can look in the Bible and see examples of this when, uh, well, the whole story of Job. If you were to go to, to Job chapter 1, starting in verse 6, like I'm going to encourage you to go there. That's in the Old Testament. You'll get some use out of your Bible today. I should have those little cheater tabs. And I look like I'm, oh, there it is. Look like I know a lot, but Job chapter one, starting in verse six, says this: One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, "Where have you come from?" And Satan answered the Lord, "From from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it." It's kind of funny that the devil has to walk across the earth, isn't it? Hope he gets tired. Verse 8, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything that he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds spread out throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself, do not lay a finger. It's, it's a little disconcerting that, that God brought up the subject of Job and said, hey, have you considered my servant Job? He's, a, he's an upright man. I mean, this guy is doing the right thing. He's living the right way. He honors God. He shuns evil. It's a little disconcerting that the Lord would do that because it's almost like Job didn't really have him on his radar or the devil didn't really have him on his radar much until God said that. But God was looking for an opportunity to pick a fight with the devil. And the devil fell right into his trap. And the devil said, well, of course he, of course he serves you. You bless everything he does. But, but you take away the blessing and he will curse you. Or did I see that? I see what you're laying down. I'll call you on it. You can mess with his stuff. You can touch all of his stuff. Everything he has is in your hands. But on him, don't you lay a finger. He allowed Satan to mess with him, but he did not allow him to touch him physically. This far, no farther. Well, if you continue to read the story, you see that he lost everything. All of his, all of his animals, all of his flocks, all of his children, all in one day all of his servants, save for a few that ran back and said, hey, this is what happened. Sometime later, the, the angels and the devil come again to present themselves before the Lord, and the Lord says, hey, you know what? I let you, I let you uh, mess with Job. He's still serving me. The devil says, well, whatever. Take a man's health, though. Take a man's health, and he'll curse you. God said, fine, you can mess with his health, but you cannot kill him. You can touch him physically now, because he passed the first test. You can touch him physically now, but you can't kill him. Period. And so what did the devil do? He went out and he got the guy sick. I mean, he, he ended up scraping sores in a garbage dump. He was in such bad shape. One passage in there that says, uh, 
My wife finds my breath offensive. I mean, he had, he had bad breath. And his wife didn't even like it. She didn't want to be around. It might have been why she said, why don't you just curse God and die? I don't. The story isn't about Job. But it's, you know, the reality is the enemy went to work really hard on him. And we can choose to focus on the difficult things in our lives. We can choose to focus on the offensive things in our lives. We can choose to focus on the negative things that we are experiencing. Or we can turn around and choose to focus on our hope and our Savior and say, you know what, I might be going through some bad stuff, but how bad would it be if God took the limits off? Praise God, he has set a limit and said the enemy cannot go any further. Now, I know some of you are like me, you wish that God would pull the limit back a little bit and make, it, make things a little softer, but he doesn't. He's, he's faithful. He's faithful to be with us. So as much as I don't like the idea that, that Satan gets to sift us, I love the idea that the Lord put a limit on it. Our joy and our attitude and our perspective on life, or rather our attitude depends on our perspective. You can be disappointed that God allows Satan to mess with you, or you can be grateful and humble that God trusts you enough and places limitations. There's some of you today that I'm sure are going through great sifting. Some of you today are going through things you never imagined you'd, you'd go through and and there's days that you just struggle. There's days that you cry. There's days that you scream out. You need to know something. Number one, you're in good company. Peter was sifted. Job was sifted. I've been sifted. We've all been sifted at some point. And number two, the Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. Remember his promise in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now this, this is a promise, but I'm going to... You know me, there's a lot of people that misunderstand this and misrepresent this passage, so we're going we're gonna to look at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, Paul says this, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Starts out, God is faithful can I get an amen on that? God is faithful. He is. He is faithful, period. And then the second part is the promise that everybody seems to get goofed up and messed up. What it says there in scriptures is he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. It does not say God won't allow you to go through anything that you can't handle, that he won't give you more than you can handle. He says he won't let you be tempted. He puts a limit on Satan, won't allow you to be tempted beyond your ability to say no. God will, you've heard me say it before, I'll say it again. God will absolutely, purposely, intentionally lead you into situations that you cannot handle. Issues that are bigger than you, that are too big for you. Why? So that you learn to trust the Lord. We've got to come to the end of ourselves before we can get on board with the Lord. We've got to come to a realization that I'm not big enough, I'm not bright enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not strong enough, but He is. Amen. And He is faithful. No matter what I'm going through, no matter what it looks like, He is faithful. He won't, he won't leave me. 
nor forsake me. And he puts a limit on what the enemy can do. And when it comes to temptation, you'll never be tempted beyond what you can bear. So if you give in to temptation, that's not the Lord stepping back. That's you saying, eh, well, I want to sin more than I want to serve. Been there, done that, okay? We all have. Sometimes you just need to hear somebody say it plainly. might be good to note also that the trial is not the temptation. The trial that you face, the issue that you're going through, is not the temptation. What do I mean by that? The trial is the situation. The temptation is the challenge as to how you're going to handle it. The trial is a situation. Maybe you, maybe you lost your job. Maybe you got bad news from the doctor. Maybe, maybe relationships are falling apart. That's the trial, but that is not the temptation. The temptation is how will you handle the trial? Are you going to handle it with the bottle? Are you going to handle it with drugs? Are you going to handle it with other relationships? Are you going to handle it trying to, trying to lose yourself in, in some wacky way? Are you going to become an, alco- an alcoholic? Yeah, that's one of them. Are you going to become a workaholic where you just you bury yourself in everything? Are you going to run after everything but God? You see, the trial isn't the temptation. The temptation is how you're going to handle the trial. And the enemy always wants you to try and handle it on your own. The devil wants you to try and rely on your own strength or the strength of friends. But the Lord said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He said, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. At some point, church, we need to learn how to be strong enough to be weak. You know what I mean by that is we need to understand that I can, I can be weak so that the Lord can be strong. And, and, and here's an odd thing. It takes a lot of strength sometimes to, to admit our weakness. I think maybe, maybe more so for men. I, I, I could be wrong on that, and I'm not. I know an off. I know a lot of very, very strong women. I'm married to a very strong woman. My my mother is a very strong woman. But I think sometimes in our culture, it's it's even tougher for us men to be strong enough to be weak and allow somebody else, allow the Lord to come in and be that strength for us. You know, we get bombarded all the time with with what the image of a real man is, and and you know, if you're not Clint Eastwood or Arnold Schwarzenegger or John Rambo or one of these characters and you must not be a you must not be a real man. Let's find out what a real man is in scripture. Jesus was a real man. He was a real strong man, real tough man. You know what? He was also a man of sorrows, a man that cried, a man, a man that wept and a man that relied upon his father. Your father and my father. That may be another sermon for another time. Let me get back to prayer. Knowing what what was about to happen with Peter, how did Jesus pray? Knowing what Peter was about to be faced with. Now, Now, we're talking about Peter. We're not talking about Jesus other than the way that Jesus prayed. Jesus knew he was about to be sold out. But in the midst of that, he's thinking about Peter. In the midst of knowing that he's about to face a horrible, agonizing, painful death, his thought turns towards Peter. He says, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. 
but I've prayed for you. It's very comforting to me to know that Satan asks, but Jesus prays. The enemy asks, but my Savior prays for me. And here's two things, two ways that Jesus prayed. He prayed with hope, and he prayed with confidence. He prayed with hope, and he prayed with confidence. Look at verse 32, Luke 22, verse 32. I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. This is a really interesting statement that Jesus makes. I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And Peter steps up and he says, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go to death with you. I'm ready. Let's hit the road. Let's do this, Lord. I'm ready. Nobody's going to get me to turn back. And Jesus looks back and after making this statement, Jesus turns back and says, you know what? Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny that you even know me. You're going to deny that you even know who I am. That sounds like a failure to me. Peter doesn't believe it. He doubts it. He want, he doesn't, nobody wants to accept that. But Jesus said, I have prayed for you that your faith won't fail. He prayed with hope. And what I mean by hope, this isn't just happy thoughts that some new age mentality says, oh, just think happy thoughts and the world will be a better place. Some of these, some of these religious groups, they are just so nutty. They drive me crazy. I actually saw... I saw, I don't know if it was a post on Facebook, if it was something on YouTube, I don't remember what it was, but this, this group of, I'll just call them nutcases, said, hey, this is what we need to do to improve, to improve the environment, to improve the earth on such and such a day, at such and such a time, we're all going to stand together and think happy thoughts. Whoa, that's happy thoughts. And all the pollution in the ocean is gone. Who knew? Happy thoughts and the landfill is clean. Whoa, glory. But who do you say glory to? Because most of them don't believe in God. They believe in, well, they, they don't call it God. They believe in the cosmos being God. I was there one time they wanted to get all of their new age believers to, uh, at a certain time, we're all going to jump up in the air and that's going to release pressure off of the earth. Are you, it, would, it is funny. Carlene thinks it's funny. It is funny, but it's sad. We can communicate with the God of the universe, the God who created everything and sustains everything by his word, and yet we just want to, maybe if we combine this with a happy thought. Wow. Wow, we're, we're out of spring and into summer. Happy, happy, happy. That's not what Jesus was talking about. The hope that he was talking about, the hope that I'm saying Jesus prayed with and the way that we need to begin to pray with hope isn't just a happy thought or a wishful thinking. It's this, it's expectation. We have to go to the Father with an expectation that he hears me. I have a hope. Not I hope God hears me. I have a hope. I have an expectation that the Lord hears me when I pray. I have an ambition. I've got things that I need God's help in. And I'm going to go to him with the hope, not the wishful thing, with the hope, the expectation that he's going to hear me and he's going to stretch forth his hand and he's going to help me through it. Not just happy thoughts. 
Jesus demonstrated this in the object of his prayer. Now understand that Peter was the subject, but there was an object to the prayer, and that was his faith. That your faith may not fail. This is the hope that I have for you, Peter. This is how I'm praying for you, that your faith may not fail. Faith is an interesting thing. In fact, Peter went on to write. Peter grabbed hold of this after the fact. He wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, faith is of greater worth than gold. He came to know this and to understand this. Jesus was praying for his faith that it wouldn't fail. Have you ever had a, a, a crisis of faith? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but the reality, I think if, if we'd all be honest... Probably every one of us has had a crisis of faith. Moses had crisis of faith. Noah had crisis of faith. Billy Graham, you want to start talking about people that aren't in the Bible but, but have been used mightily by God? Billy Graham has dealt with crises of faith. I can remember reading, his, reading Billy Graham's autobiography. He was talking about when he started his first big revival services in L.A., and before the first one kicked off, he had been praying about it. They'd had everything put in place, and he went out to pray, and all of a sudden he was bombarded with doubts and with fears. People had asked him some questions that he could not answer, had to do with Scripture. He said he took a, took a short walk, went out into the woods all by himself, found a rock and knelt down, began to talk to the Lord. Lord, I, I can't answer these people. I don't, I don't know what to tell them. And he sensed the Lord encouraging him that he needed to decide what he believed. Where are you going to place your faith? And Billy Graham said that at that moment he decided, I am going to accept the word of God from, Revelation, or from Genesis to Revelation. I'm going to accept that it is inspired and it's infallible. It's always right. I don't have to understand everything in it. I just have to know the one who wrote it. I don't have to be able to explain everything, but I can accept what the Lord says. And he made that, made that declaration, made that vow, committed himself to the Lord right there and to that, that understanding. And he stood up and, well, you know, the, you know the results. Look at how many years he has preached and how many hundreds of thousands those souls have been saved. He was in a real crisis of faith. It was a, it was a turn or burn moment. He could have he failed. And can you imagine? Can you imagine how hard the enemy was working on him, trying to stir up doubts, trying to stir up fears, knowing the potential that Billy Graham had to reach people for the next 60, 70 years? He was under tremendous pressure. But even with him, the Lord said, This far, no farther. Jesus said to Peter, I've, I've prayed for you that your faith, that your faith won't fail. Proverbs 24, 16 says that though a righteous man falls seven times, he gets back up. You see, that's the difference between the righteous and the unrighteous. That's the difference between a solid believer and a shirt tail believer. You can be a rock solid believer and, and fail. Make a mistake, trip up, fall down, get dirty. If you're a righteous man or woman and you honestly you're going to serve the Lord, get back up. Get back up. It's interesting that he, that he uses the number seven because scripturally speaking, seven 
7 represents completeness. And so what the Lord is saying here is, is though a person falls seven times, will they come to the point where they look like they are completely out, completely done for, wasted, wiped out, finished, kaput. Though the righteous might fall that many times, they stand back up. Not on our own two feet, with the strength of the Lord. You see, it's possible for us to fail without our faith failing. That's a hard one to grab hold of. Peter did fail. Jesus knew Peter would fail, but that didn't mean that his faith had to fail. Underscores the importance of what we place our faith in. Is our faith in ourself, in our ability to please God and, and do the right thing on our own power? Jesus told a story about a, a couple of men that went up to pray one time. So there was, there was a, a Pharisee went up to pray, he went up to the temple, and there was, a, there was a, a sinner, a tax collector, dirty guy. He said they both went up to pray, and the, and the Pharisee stands up, and he starts praying like this. Oh, Lord, I thank you that I am so good. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything that I get. I'm, I thank you that I'm not like this nasty tax collector over here. Can you imagine somebody getting up and praying like that in church? Lord, thank you for doing such a good job on me. I am the epitome of awesome. Thank you very much. I'm so faithful to you. I'm so convinced about you. I do all the things that I'm supposed to do. Jesus said the other guy sitting there that got kind of called out by the Pharisee, he wouldn't even look up to heaven. He just hung his head and he beat his breast. And he said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Jesus said that man and not the other went home justified. The sinner that couldn't even raise his eyes to look towards heaven. God, have mercy. I am a sinner. You see, what do we put our faith in? Are you putting your faith in your, in your ability to, to know Scripture? Are you putting your faith in your ability to, to keep the rules? Because I'll be, I'll be honest with you, the top ten, ten commandments, they're really not that hard to uphold. I've, I've never killed anybody. And it really hasn't been hard. I'm not going to say I've never been tempted to think about it. But I've never done it. I found it actually pretty easy not to kill anybody. I've never cheated on my wife. That's been pretty easy. I don't lie. It's easy. I don't steal. It's easy. I can do all of those. And there's lots of good people that don't know Jesus. They don't have any relationship with the Lord, but they don't break those Ten Commandments because it's really not all that hard. But just because you don't break those things, just because you don't do the bad stuff, and just because you do the good stuff, just because you got 50 memory verses memorized, doesn't mean that you were right. Where's your faith? Is it in you and your abilities? Or is your faith in the life-sustaining hands of Jesus? If your faith is in yourself and in your own abilities, it will of necessity fail. Because even though the Spirit is willing... The flesh is weak. Is your faith placed in another person or another organization? Do you trust that they or, or it will show you the way and, and give you the ability to please God? Maybe you can just tag along. Oh, I'm an American, so hey, treat me well. 
Maybe you're going to please God by identification. Of course I'm okay. I go to Mountain View Christian Center and I listen to Pastor Brandon. I got to be right on. Don't put your faith in me. Thank you. No, seriously, don't put your faith in me. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to mislead you, but I'm just a man. I can't save you. I can only point you to the one who can. And that's Jesus Christ. Who is Brandon? Just some goofy guy that God said, I want you to preach because apparently you can't do much else. I didn't hear you and I'm not going to listen. But if our faith is not in another person, our faith is not in an organization, our faith is in the Lord, his grace, his love, his faithfulness, that doesn't have to fail because he doesn't fail. If our faith is built on something else, out of necessity it has to fail so that we learn that we can trust on him who doesn't fail. But when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, it doesn't have to fail because he doesn't fail. The simple fact that Peter would fail underscored the need for his faith to be strengthened and encouraged. He'd need faith to return to the Lord. How many of you know that? It's tough to come back to the Lord and you've been walking contrary to his plan, especially when you've made declarations that you love the Lord and you're serving the Lord and you've gone so far as to get baptized. You've been at church every time the doors are open, something happens in life and you walk away and you deny. It's awful hard to come back. He needed faith to return to the Lord. But Jesus said in verse 32, when you have turned back, he needed faith to believe that, that God rewards those who seek him. Hebrews eleven six. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says, you know, you got to have faith that God exists in the first place and that he rewards those who seek him. He had to have faith that God heals and receives back the backslider. I don't know why it is. Sometimes we find it really easy to believe that God would, would accept this backslider back, but wouldn't accept my backsliding back. It's easier for us to, to look at somebody else and say, you know what, they, they deserve it, they are, they're a pretty good person, they just made a mistake, but when it comes to our own sin, we think it's so huge, and, we, and we're so disappointed in ourselves that we find it hard to come back. My goodness. Let's not be so focused on our self. Let's focus on the Lord. Jesus told a great story about a, about a son, a man that had two sons, actually. The older son, a good, hardworking son. The younger son, I'm really glad that it was the younger son because I'm the older son. <laughs> but the younger son was, and he's just kind of a, a lazy playboy, entitled snot. And he came to his dad one day and he said, Dad, I wish you were dead. Well, that's not exactly how Scripture puts it. How Scripture puts it is that he said, Dad, I want the inheritance that I'll get when you die. I want it now. So in essence, he was saying, I wish you were dead so I could have the money. Because I can have a lot more fun with that money than I can have with you breathing down my neck, telling me to get out in the fields, do this, do that, and the other. And kids just being honest, I want my money. I want to go. And if it takes you dying, Whatever. I mean, think about that. Any of you got kids, your kid comes to you and says something like that. Ouch! Well, the father said, okay, fine. He went and cashed him out, gave him his money. The son took off. The son went to a distant land where he wasted the money 
in wild living. Drugs, alcohol, women, parties, you name it. He spent it, and pretty soon it was gone. And then hard times came upon that land. So hard that he had nothing to eat. He sold himself to one of the locals to feed pigs. Here's a Jew feeding pigs. They can't even touch pigs, can't eat pigs. He's sitting in the pig pen with the pigs, wishing he could eat the crud that the pigs are eating. Have you ever looked at food that pigs eat? It tastes a lot better in the bacon. I don't know how they transfer it. I think it's awesome, though. It tastes a lot better when it comes out and it's baconized. But when you're looking at what they're eating, it's, oh, when I was in middle school, we had one of the teachers that raised pigs, and they would take all the, all the food. They didn't want you to throw food in the garbage. They, they had a special garbage can. You throw all the food in there. It looks like a toilet that hasn't been flushed and smells about that. It's just, oh, and they, take, and they feed the pigs. And this guy is looking at that stuff, and he's going, oh, that looks pretty good. I wish I could eat some of that. Yeah, he had come to a pretty bad spot. And in the midst of that pigsty being hungry for that yuck, he has a revelation. Aren't you glad God gives you revelations even in the midst of your yuck? And he says, you know what? <laughs> My dad's servant's got it better than I got it. Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll get up. I'll go home. I'll throw myself on my face before my father. And I will tell him, I don't deserve to be your son. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Let me be like one of your hired servants. Man, that is a, that is a humbling place. And so as the story goes, he gets up and he heads back. Now Jesus changes the focus. He goes away from the son for a minute and he goes and looks at the father. What was the father doing? The father was standing there looking for him. Every day the father would go out and he'd look from the highest point, look down the road to see, is my boy coming back? And that day, he saw him. He recognized his swagger. He recognized in the, under all the dirt and the mud and the crud, he recognized his boy. He said, there he is. And he went running after him, very undignified, robes flowing, and he runs up to his son and he grabs him. The kid just got out of a pig pen. He stinks. The kid, last time they talked, wished his dad was dead. Gave him his money. He ran up and he embraced him. He kissed him. Put his lips on that nasty pig snot face and kissed him. And he wept. And then he yelled at his servants, hey, go get me a clean robe, go get a ring. I want you to take that calf. I want you to slaughter that calf. It is party time. My boy is home. That kid didn't have any right to come home. But the father loved him. The older brother, this is one of the things that was bad to be the older brother. The older brother come out, what is going on here? And he had a bad attitude. We heard all the celebrating and whatnot. The older brother you know what? I, I never once did anything wrong. I never even took a, a lamb uh, to party with my friends. I haven't done anything wrong with this son of yours. He wouldn't even call him his brother. This son of yours goes off and wastes money on prostitutes and on everything else. And when he comes back, you're all happy and you kill the calf and you put a new robe on him. 
Dad says, you know what? My son was dead, but he's alive again. We've got to celebrate. We've got to celebrate. Church, that's a, that's a story that Jesus told to demonstrate the fact that it doesn't matter how far away you've gone. It doesn't matter how you've cussed God out and told him you wished he was dead. You might have been walking with him nice and firm a year ago, two years ago, five years ago, whatever, something happened, and you got hurt, you got burned, you got upset, and you walked away, and you started living the most wild, horrific life that you could imagine, and you found yourself in a pig pen. He said, would you come back? Come back. Let me heal you of your backsliding. Let me restore you. You see, Peter needed to understand that. And I think as, as the Lord spoke that to him, and I think as he went out and he wept after he denied knowing Jesus, I think that story came to mind. Jesus prayed not only with hope, but he prayed with confidence. When you come back. I've prayed for your faith that it won't fail. So when you come back, maybe you're here today and you need to come back. You can come back. He rewards those who seeks him. He heals and receives back the backslide. Now we need to be careful. That doesn't mean that we can take advantage of God's grace. We don't sin that grace can increase. Galatians 6, verse 7 says, Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. So you can't, you can't live in premeditated sin with premeditated repentance. It doesn't work. I can tell you from personal experience, you can't Friday afternoon pray, God, forgive me what I'll probably do tonight and think you're walking right on Sunday morning. It doesn't work that way. Fruit of our repentance is that we turn our back on sin. But if we've fallen, the Lord is faithful and just, and he will pick us up if we'll just stretch our hands out towards him. God, who searches the heart, certainly knows the difference between falling in sin and walking or living in sin. It's one thing everybody's going to trip and fall at some point as believers. We trip and fall. We, we make a mistake. Somebody makes us mad, and we say something we shouldn't say, or, or we get nervous, and we tell a lie, or, or we get upset and we hit something. You know, we sin. It happens. We fail. There's a difference between that and choosing to walk in sin, knowing that what I'm doing is wrong, and I'm going to continue to do it anyway. God knows the difference. I'm sure you do too. So Jesus prayed with hope, but he also prayed with confidence. He said, when you have turned back, don't, don't confuse this with the idea of predestination. God has not predetermined what you're going to say and how you're going to say it and if you're going to repent and if you're not. God's, God's foreknowledge of events does not equate predestination of events, okay? Predetermination. That's a tough one. To, that's for another time, but that's a, that's a tough one. Jesus said, when you have turned back, speaking solely in confidence that Peter would have an aha moment. Praying in confidence that he's going to turn back. Jesus not only expected that Peter would come back, but he had work for Peter to do. You see what he says next? He said, I want you to strengthen your brothers. When you've come back, I want you to strengthen your brothers. You know why? They're going to need it too, because every single one of them fell away. 
Mark's account of that night, Mark 14, 27, says that they all left Jesus. Not a one of them stood around. So they were going to need to have the strength of a man named Peter, whose name translated means the rock. They were going to need to see the example that, that he fell, but he got back up. Strengthen your brothers. you got work to do. Romans eleven twenty nine says this, God's gift and his call are irrevocable. Or as the King James says, without repentance. What's that mean? God's got a call and he's got a purpose for you. He has gifted you in ways. And sometimes we feel like, you know what? I, I blew it. I messed up and I, I must not be able to do that work anymore. I must not be able to, to serve God in that capacity anymore because I fell, I failed, I sinned. But Paul tells us in Romans that God's gifts and his call, they're irrevocable. He's not going to pull it back. You might pull yourself out of position by choosing to walk in sin, but if you will return to him, he will restore that gift and he will restore that call and repurpose you. I felt for a long time that I had blown every opportunity I had to be used by God just because of the choices and decisions and the things I had done in my life. But when I began to understand that, that God's going to look past that, that we all fall, we all sin, and God forgives. When we come to him with sincerity, God forgives. I am so glad that that passage is in there. I would much rather be doing this than building ambulances. Although ambulance building is good, it's important, but that's not my call. That's not my gifting. So all that to say, we got some application to put in here. Jesus prayed in two ways for Peter. He prayed with hope and he prayed with confidence. You need to understand this morning that Jesus prays for you the same way that he prayed for Peter. The Bible says that he lives forever to intercede for us. So here's the application. If you've fallen, get back up. Sometimes spiritual truth doesn't sound all that spiritual. If you've fallen, get back up. Number two is you pray. Pray like Jesus, who modeled hope and confidence for us. Pray with hope and confidence for your children, for your family, for your friends the situations in your life. Pray with hope and expectation. God hears you. Pray with confidence. Start making the, taking the steps you need to take to make the things happen that God has laid on your heart. Can you do those things? Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to close in prayer. I'm going to again remind you these altars are open and I just want you to get used to these altars being open. We've got a reminder up on the, during the announcements on the overhead there that Pentecost Sunday is coming. It's the birthday of the church. But you know what the believers were doing in the upper room, the 120 believers that were present on that day of Pentecost when God poured out his Holy Spirit? They were praying. They were worshiping. They were talking. They were taking care of business. You want to see God move in your life and you want to see God move in your family and in your children and in your community, our communities. 
We can pray. Let's be praying. And today, let's pray like Jesus, with faith, hope, and confidence. Lord, this morning, I thank you. Jesus, I pray that lives are touched today. Lord, I pray that we would walk with a hope and a confidence in you. Lord, not just special thoughts, not just wishful thinking, but Lord, with a confidence that you hear us and a confidence, Lord, that you're at work in our lives. You're, you're doing stuff under the surface in our children, in our families, in our situations. God, you got good plans for us. Sometimes we just need to be strong enough to be weak. Lord, help us to pray not only with hope, but to pray with expectation. Lord, we walk with the one who calls things that are not as though they are. Lord, help us to step it up with our confidence. In church, with every head bowed this morning, every eye closed, I'm just going to I'm just going to ask you, if you're here, and I said it a few times, and I just really feel the Lord's wanting to move on some of you. If you have fallen, if you have lost faith, if you have goofed up, I don't know how many other ways to put it, know this, it's time to get up. It's time to come back. It's time to allow the Lord to restore you. That being said, these, these altars are open. I'll close our prayer. These altars are open. Please come find a place to pray. If you'd like somebody to pray with you, especially, let me know. I'll be happy to pray with you purposefully and intentionally. But come. Don't walk out the same way you came in today. Lord, I commit your people to your grace today. Lord, you know the situations and the scenarios. You know the issues that everyone in this place is dealing with. I pray, Jesus, that they would each one have the faith and the confidence Lord, to trust you. Lord, I pray that lives would be restored today. That hope would be renewed today. And Lord, that as your people pray, they would begin to hear cracks in the foundation. Cracks, Lord, in the foundation of the walls that the enemy's built up to try and hem them in. Would you blow those walls out for your glory? We'll be quick to give you the praise, Jesus, in your wonderful name. Amen. Thank you for checking out our podcast today. For more information, you can find us on the web at www.mountainviewchristiancenter.net.